you know, we're, we're, we're going to talk a lot more in the future about healthy buildings, right? People are going to want, they're going to want windows. People are going to want lights. People are going to want healthy working conditions. They're going to want a lot more fresh air going into the building. As the crow flies on the Vance Crow podcast. Dan Dokovic, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. So you are in commercial real estate, and this is the topic going on right now, not just in the United States, but all over the world, because everyone is wondering when the quarantines are lifted, will people return to the office space? Will the offices be filled again? As a commercial real estate broker, what do you think? So the, the offices are definitely going to be filled again. Um, I think there's a lot of chatter out there that office space is going to die. Um, but I think you can already start seeing it. You know, I'm, I'm in my office today and I pulled into the garage and, and the garage is already starting to get filled up. Um, and this is, again, this is the first week after we lifted the quarantine. So um, <clears throat> I think there's two trains of thoughts. There are certain things that can be done really well from home. Um, you know, head down work. Uh, if you don't have kids like me, um, you know, some, some of the more concentrated work can be done really well from home. Um, but when you're talking about what's going to be happening in the offices, it's the same thing that, that's been happening in the offices for a long time. It's the, the creativity, it's the connection, it's the teamwork. So, you know, if, if you look at well, who are the companies who are going to be bringing back people into the office? It's the companies that are creating stuff. It's the companies that are building teams. Um, it's the companies that are that are trying to, um, you know, advance whatever they're trying to do, their creativity or whatever. So um, I, I think I think you've seen a lot of tech companies saying, well, you know, our, our tech people can work from home. That that is correct, but again. If you look at it from the perspective of are those teams going to be as successful and productive as before, I would say probably not because we have tried this over and over and over again, and it did not work. Yahoo tried it in 2000s. Uh, IBM tried it. Um, Best Buy tried it. And everybody keeps coming back to you need that. You need that personal close connection. So. Yeah, I mean, and the tech workers are something altogether different because when you're working on tech and you're working on code, there really is just you and the music that you're playing into the computer. So I have several friends that they have either spent a lot of money or they have built their own white noise machines. They go into the office and the act of being around other people is actually a sacrifice for them. So for many coders, uh, you know, the idea of working from home means I can go into my dark basement I can type on this computer and when I need to share code or I need to communicate, I can do it in a channel where my skills are best used in a written format. Whereas when you're talking about like creatives work, the, you, it'd be really difficult to design a movie this way because like uh, Pixar, when Steve Jobs did that, he intentionally placed the bathrooms in a place where people would have to walk from the entire length of the building in order to come to the same bathroom, but it created those serendipitous collisions where you have a conversation and it, it jars some new idea. And any of the work that required that, that kind of serendipitous collisions, that's going to have to be back in an office in some way. It is, it is. And I think people are yearning to be back in the office too. Um, you, you know, I don't know about a lot of, a lot of your listeners, but 
I think what's happening is I think, well, first of all, people as people are social human beings. Um, you know, let's, let's put a couple of introverts out there, you know, that, that, you know, to decide, but again, people in general like to be around people and feed off other people's energy. Um, and I think that's, uh, I've been on a bit on my soapbox uh, because of this. I think what, what's going on is there's going to be a huge problem with mental health because of this quarantine. People have been stuck at home. They haven't been able to see the friends. They haven't been able to see the coworkers. They haven't been able to have meaningful conversations other than through Zoom, which I think it's fine. But again, when you're there in flesh in front of somebody, it's a different conversation than it is when you're over a Zoom or over a camera or over chat, chat or email or whatever. So um, I was just reading yesterday, you know, um, the prescriptions for uh, antidepressant drugs went up 34%. In the last in the last two months. Yeah. So again, I'm not blaming it all on not being in the office, but I am blaming it on being cooped up inside of the home. And you know, most of us spend a lot of time in the office, uh, and most of us have, you know, almost office families, right? You you have your your you have your office coworker families, that that you almost need as much as you need your your day to day family, you, you know. So. I think that's that's a big importance of what office brings to the antidepressants thing. Like I I uh, I didn't know that, but it makes a ton of sense to me. When when the lockdowns first happened in St. Louis, all of a sudden you saw an explosion of people walking and biking and taking their kids out, and and you saw this almost like a resurgence where you looked around and it felt refreshing and good because the community mm -hmm. was coming together. But two months in. I now can go for a jog at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. at a, a reasonably late time for me and see almost no runners. And in the yeah. evening, I see almost no walkers. So it's like we went back to the pre-coronavirus engagement outside. And then you also don't have the going outside to get in your car and then drive to the office. I would imagine that this is a compounding problem that if people aren't, if they aren't solving it with exercise, they are going to go on medication. Well, you know, and, and you, you brought up a great point there. When you work in an office space and you're going from an office home, most of us have at least a 10, 15 minute drive home. Most of us take that time to decompress. You know, a lot of people put on music. Some people listen to podcasts. But it is time that you take to decompress and kind of, you know, bundle up your workday throw it away and then you get home and you see a family. But again, you know, these last couple of months, you know, for me, I would go down to the basement. Next thing you know is the, the day's done. I will come back up and it will be an automatic shock to your system because it's, it's not easy to switch from business um, stance to, to being a family man right away. Because I mean, it's 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 two different worlds. Um, I had a I had a funny conversation with with people that, that that cuss a lot, you know, you know, and they when they're home they don't cuss. When they're at work, you know, they 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 throw in a couple of cuss words, right? So then you have that family connection and that work connection combining when they're home working. You know, the kids are like, Dad or Mom, what what you know. 
what is that? You know, and, and people tell me, well, I, you know, they will typically not see this from me, but because I'm at home, now this stuff is coming out. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's interesting how you, how you can pick up on certain things because you were working at home, right? You know, yeah, I mean, the, like the, all the world is a stage and, and work, yeah. the work stage that we go to, that we put on our costume and we go and we play a role that it's expected and we know what's going on. We know that if we're making forward progress, like we took the, the play that is everyone's lives and we said like, nope, though it's no longer needed. Now you're only acting through this TV screen. So some people weren't putting on pants. Like, I don't know if you heard that funny <laughs> statistic yep, yep, where they were saying shirts <clears throat> are going through the roof at Target and Walmart and these yep, places, yep, but yep. pants are, you know, not, not all that important. I think that this is, uh, I, for one, tried to keep my schedule like laid down in stone because if I were to get into the vortex of I'm not a part of this um, routine, I, I, that would have led inevitably to depression for me, bad places. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think, I think a lot of people have been trying to, some people have been trying to incorporate putting certain things of normality back into their life. So putting on a nice, shirt and pants and going and sitting down and working you know I've, I've seen a couple of people do that just because mentally they feel much better about it you know they don't feel like they woke up put on their sweatpants and next thing you know they're they're you know working and again if you look at it when does working from home work and, and this is this is a study that has been done the working from her home works for achievers right so if you look at it, okay, so if you have an achiever, they're really good at working from home, but they're also really good working from work, right? I mean, that, that's, that's the big difference. If you have an underachiever, well, they're not good working from work or from home, and then you're really in a, you know, in a, in a dizzy. So like I said, some of these people, and like you were saying, you know, in the morning, they wake up on time, they go work out, do whatever, put on their clothes, they shut themselves down and then they're working, right? Um, they get their mind right to work. But again, you can't, you can't expect that from everybody, you know? And then, you know, a lot of people, you know, I know, I know there's a lot of young families that have young kids, you know, they're, they're not, not in school. They're running around, around home. Um, you know, you have, we have families where there's, you know, two working parents and kids at home. Um, it, it would be almost a crime to say, well, you should have the same productivity as you were before because it's not possible. I mean, everybody knows that, you know, um, everybody knows if you have a small, small child, you know, toddler, three, four, five, six, seven years old at home, they're going to want your attention all the time. And, you know, you're going to have to manage work secondly, right? it's not going to be your number one priority because you want to make sure that your kids stay safe. You know, they don't walk out in the street who knows what. Right. So, uh, so I believe that, you know, I've saw some statistics that a productivity um, went down about 8% in United States, 9% in Europe. But I, I also have a feeling that that's a, that's a kind of a, you know, cop out number. I think the productivity probably has gone down a lot more than that. It's just that we don't know it, right? So you're in so. commercial real estate. What mm -hmm. is the state of 
real estate right now? Are people buying and selling? Are they holding? What's going on? Well, so it's it's kind of an interesting interesting time, right? You you look at you look at different classes of real estate, right? You look at retail, you look at office, and you look at industrial, and you also look at hospitality and multifamily. All of those assets have their own quirks that come with this. And and a lot of people, if you look at it, a lot of people are not, we're not, nobody was ready for this. Even if you were in a previous recession, you would, you would, you know, you would know what to do, but this recession is not the same as the previous one, right? This one came in so hot and, and really took us all by surprise. So if you look at it, you know, obviously the, the, the hospitality people have been hurt the most and you can, you know, I just read an article in St. Louis business journal, you know, some, some are arguing that it's going to take until 2024 to get the hospitality back to the same place where it was in, you know, in 2019. So, you know, you're going to see huge vacancies in hotels. They're going to be struggling for a long time. So that's, that's kind of on the hospitality side retail side same way it this has been so so hard for the retail side because nobody was going anywhere and the restaurants had to shut down right so you can already see right now a ton of restaurants are already saying well you know what we're just not going to open our doors anymore um and that's i think that's going to be huge impact on retail real estate um because yeah, and again, for restaurants, you, it's like, it's a really difficult investment because you can't just be like, well, let's open it up and see if 50% capacity does it for us. You've got to buy milk and eggs and cheese right. and bread and all these things. And if you don't sell it, then you now have taken on all that liability. And if somebody comes to your restaurant and you don't have the things that made it the reason that they came, maybe they'll be forgiving and maybe they won't. But you can imagine that this is going to really wipe out a lot of people. And they're probably sitting there wondering, should I throw the dice this week? What happens if we, you know, pull back? Maybe I should throw them next week. And it makes it hard to know how to navigate. Well, restaurant, I mean, and you know this as anybody else out there, restaurants are such a tough business to begin with. In, in good times, they're a very tough business. And so in a bad times, you know, it's, it's horrible. So you look at, you look at a restaurant and they're, they're doing, you know, well, in a good time and they're doing well when you have hundred percent of the tables working. Right. But now imagine taking 50, 75% of those tables and, and putting, I saw somewhere they, they showed me up, they were showing a picture. There were mannequins in the tables that were not being used. So it looks like there's people, you know, but the, you know, they're, they were getting a little, a little creative, but imagine, you know, so now, you know, you're down 50, 75%. It's very hard to to make it work. Now, some of the people have adapted to that, and and they're doing all, you know the curbside and they're doing selling groceries, um, and you know I, I've personally I've enjoyed some of those restaurants that have done that. You know I I'm, I'm a big proponent of St. Louis restaurants, so um, I was up out and about all the time, you know, trying to figure out how to how to order from restaurants and what to do to try to support them. And in the meantime, you know, I was, I was eating better myself um, than I was before quarantine. It's, it's almost become kind of a, like, um, and, and I, 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 I'm a proponent of this, you know, you create this local economy 
where you know you can you can collaborate and you can work with the restaurants they can provide you some of this local produce and they can provide you some of this local much much better quality food at a fraction of the price because they don't have to you know involve a server they don't have to involve uh you know and it's going to be it's going to be to see what's going to happen with the rents we can pick that up soon too but again you can create a almost kind of a small local economy you know where you're not so reliant on meat coming in from you know new york or wisconsin on on eggs coming in from who knows where you know and you can and you can keep the local economy going um by doing so so yeah the local economy i heard a guy uh the other day is the former president of coinbase the the cryptocurrency trading site and then also a guy named eric weinstein and they were talking about red and green zones and about how different communities were going to be rated based on how likely are you to be infected there. And when they were first talking about it, I was doing some outside work and I was like, this is a joke. These guys are just being fear mongers. And then the, the, they said something that really caught my attention. They said, look, you know, the mortality rates, it's not getting 20 year olds and 30 year olds. This is not the problem. The problem is you're going to eventually hit a point where hugging a stranger or shaking hands could be a $10,000 decision that you're making because you yourself will not be able to work. So if you've relocated your staff because California has all kinds of problems or New York, those people are going to choose a place where the odds that they're going to have a $10,000 bad handshake are down as low as possible. And that really made me be like, all right, what are the measures that a city could do not if they were trying to do uh, security theater, but what actually would bring down your number or make it so you got characterized in that green zone? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, you know, if you, if you look at it strategically, right, and, and if you look at it where we had the most problem with coronavirus, right, you're looking at very dense urban settings, right? Um, so from, from commercial real estate perspective, even in New York, you saw that flight, right? As soon as Corona came, people were throwing money to try to go to the suburbs or, you know, uh, it was famously that the people were overbidding by three, four, five, six, seven times in Hamptons to be able to rent a house, just not to be on top of each other. Right. So from, from that perspective, I think what we are going to see is we're gonna see a resurgence of the suburbs, right? Up until this point, people were moving into the cities and they were stacking right on top of each other. You know, everybody was talking about millennials and how millennials are city dwellers and whatever. Well, yes, but let's think about it. If you can get everything that you get in a city, in a suburb, right? And you can have a better quality of life, a house, a yard, you don't have to be on top of your neighbor, especially if if this virus thing continues to repeat. You know, maybe it's not Corona, but maybe it's something else. You know, you, you got to think about it. You know, I think people are going to be a lot more sensitive about it in the future because they went through this right now. They're going to be a lot more sensitive, like you said, who they hug, who are they affiliated with, where do they live? Because imagine, you know, all of us here in St. Louis are pretty 
damn lucky right now, actually, right? I mean, we've had the luxury of living in a larger house, right? We have had the luxury of having the outside. Um, you know, my kids have been playing in the backyard for a long, long time, you know. But imagine turning that back around and you're living in Manhattan in a 450 square foot place. I think the, 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 you know, we were talking about mental impact of it. I, I couldn't even imagine spending oh, three months, no 450 doubt. square feet. Well, I, I lived in an yeah. apartment in DC, 480 square right. feet, and it looked out on a brown brick wall. And if I was yeah. in that situation, it would be nothing but hell. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I went on Twitter and was like, hey, I think that this is going to be a real chance for people that have always viewed the middle as flyover country as like all of a sudden the luxury of living in New York or having the prestige of living in San Francisco now comes at the very high price that if the, if we decide as a society that we're going to quarantine in our houses, now you get to be all alone in your little box. Whereas there is so much space in a place like St. Louis where you know, it almost seems like there's no end to the amount of right, space. Right, right. You know, and, and you, you used to be a thing when you said, well, you know what, I want to go to New York or Chicago because, you know, there's great restaurants, you know, there's great nightlife, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's art, right? But, but you look at it now when you look at St. Louis and you can say the same thing. I mean, we have some of the best restaurants in the country. You know, every time James Beer comes around, St. Louis place is on there, right? And, and you can probably get into that sp into that place faster than you can get it into New York, right? Um, you know, our, our culture over here is is amazing. We have great artists here, um, you know. And then on top of that, you have this you have this sprawling, you know, acres and acres of land that you can that you can live without having to be on top of each other. And the quality of life is just great. So I think. I think people are going to start realizing that and you're going to see people we were talking about back at the, about the office space. If, if you look at it in California, the, the rents are four or five times higher than they are here in St. Louis. And then on top of that, you're paying, you know, you're paying ab absolutely absurd amount of money to live in a, a small, tiny apartment. Well, you know, people are going to start realizing that's not what this is all about, right? Yes, you have beautiful, you know, coastline, but there, there's a lot of beautiful places here in Missouri that you can be, um, you know, and, and, and a lot of different things that you can do to be active outside, et cetera, et cetera. The thing um, that, that I really had no concept of until, so I moved away to the coast. So I wanted to live <laughs> in California and New York, DC, and I did. I lived in all these places. I did not realize until I moved to St. Louis when my commute, uh, you know, across 15 miles or whatever is 15 minutes. Right. And you, you go back and you visit Washington, D.C. and you realize like every single day you are in a dance with millions of other people who all have their own intentions, who all have their own desires, and that has nothing to do with you. And no. so you don't have a community feature. You are just an anonymous like a thing getting in other people's way and they're getting in your way and you all of this time that uh you have to give over just for things like commutes 
it once you get out of it, none of it makes any sense why you would be in it in the first place. Like right. how much money are you willing to, to make in order to uh, have a drive where you sit for two hours? Well, on top of that, imagine the stress of it too. It's not, it's not that easy driving in some of those big cities. You know, I, I know, you know, you wouldn't come catch me dead driving in New York. You know, I would much rather sit in somebody else's car. Right. Um, it, it would just be horrible. Right. And so over here, you know, you, you take it for granted. You get into your car, you turn on your music, and next thing you know, you're cruising down. The, you know, there is some, there is some, you know, places where, where we have some jams, but nothing. So Dan, nothing if like, you're, you got, you got people that are coming to you. I mean, the thing that's interesting about you in particular, real estate agents in general, is that a lot of people that are risk takers come to you, particularly in a moment like this. There's a whole bunch of people sheltering in their houses you got some high risk takers. What is the risk of say buying an apartment complex right now? And they, the, the government says you don't have to pay your rent anymore. Is that a real risk right now? So, and I'm going to, I'm going to speak from my own uh, experience because we, we are, we are owners of real estate. Also we have um, uh, currently we own about 1.6 million square feet here in St. Louis. And so, you know, from, from my perspective, we're buyers in this market, right? Um, even though you have that risk of not receiving the rent, we believe, or I believe that that will come back, right? People are gonna start paying rent. Um, April and May on our portfolio alone, we've connect, collected about 92% and that's office and industrial. If you look at across the country, all the REITs are trending about the same on an office side, industrial side. The collection is about 92, 93%. Um, on multifamily is about 90%. Um, on retail, like I said, it, that's that's really where people got hit. Um, it's right around 40s uh, on collection. Um, so Wait, 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 wait. So the other right. ones are trending 90, and then you go down to 40 in the real estate? You, you that's go a bad to about 40% on retail side, you know, um, wow. that, that is a, that is a, you know, like I said, you know, you, you have restaurants, you have mom and pop retail shops, you know, you have boutiques, none of those people were able to afford paying rent. And I think, I think that's where the change comes along is how are we going to shop in a future? What the retail is going to look like? Um, and the, you know, and then how we're going to work in the future, and then how we're going to receive goods in the future, right? Um, I think that's that's a big big shift. So going back to it, would I buy? Yes, we're buyers in this market, even though we don't, you know, even though there's certain rent collection issues right now, um, because yes, people are going to pay in the future, but what are they going to pay for, right? So you look at it. Are people going to pay for, let's look at the office space. Are people going to pay for a white, stark box that I can put 400 cubicles in? And that's it, right? No, right? Office space is going to become more, you know, about experience, right? If you're going to have people in the office, you're going to want those people to have experiences like you were talking about jobs. Wow. They're going to, they're going to yeah. have to, they're going to have to hit each other. They're going to have to have collaboration. 
you know, we're, we're, we're going to talk a lot more in the future about healthy buildings, right? People are going to want, they're going to want windows. People are going to want lights. People are going to want healthy working conditions. They're going to want a lot more fresh air going into the building. Yeah, I was just right? thinking about that. When you, th when you think about lights, right? Like yeah. commercial real estate, you, you know, there are very, very few windows you can ever open up because it's too yeah. big of a liability, right? But now right. all of a sudden, if you have a building with windows in it that you can open, the value of that just went way up. Well, and, and, your, and your mechanical systems, if you can pump in more fresh air through your mechanical systems, it, so the biggest thing that is proved about, about this coronavirus is that fresh air is it's really an enemy, right? So what the, what the doctors say, go out, get some fresh air, right? If you're in a building, pump as much fresh air into the building as you can. So in, in some of our buildings that we own and manage, we've started pumping in a lot more air. You know, replace the filters. We're using different type of filters that we replace the catch, you know, a lot more bacteria um, than just a typical filter that you would use in your house or whatever. Um, so certain things like that, you know, is really where you, you know, look at the future of real estate, it's going to have to be healthy real estate, right? Because people are going to request that and they're going to value that. If you just have a box where you're trying to put people in, it's not going to work as well, right? There's not going to be just that, you know, you, you look at it back in, a, back in the day and you look at what was the relationship between a landlord and a tenant. So a landlord says, tenant, pay me my rent and I'll give you the space. And tenant said, here's my rent, leave me alone, right? Future is not going to be like that, right? Future is going to be a lot more collaborative between the landlord and a tenant. They're going to touch points on a lot more avenues than just here's your space. You know, it's going to start looking a lot, a lot more like a hotel where you go to work than it's going to look like a, a, a just a box with cubicles and, and computers, right? So, Do you perceive it'll be a lot more like Uber-style offices where you can just kind of rent or come in and out? Or will people want their own secure place where, where they can keep their own stuff and know how it's being treated? Well, so that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good question there because we were trending back to, you know, you think about WeWork, right? We were trending to a place where you can, you know, have a bench somewhere and you can, you know, register that bench to you, you know, three days a week or something like that, right? And and you're going to see a lot more going back to the private offices than you did before. You're going to see a lot more going to your private stuff than you did before because imagine I'm using the same desk as you're using as 15 other people are using while well, I'm not using it or you're not using it. I mean, imagine the, 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 the germs, the, you know, and people are not going to take that lightly anymore, right? You're going to either have to have somebody, every time somebody leaves, disinfect that space very, very thoroughly. Um, or you're going to, you know, just decide to have a space for dedicated space for somebody, right? So <clears throat> really what, going back to the whole whole thing about the office space, if you look at it, I think people are focusing on the wrong thing. There was, there was a, a, a Jones Lang LaSalle did this 
and, and you can do it in any different shape or form. In St. Louis here, I would say you can do it at a lesser scale. So uh, two, 20, 200, right? Two is utilities that you pay, $2 that you pay in a square foot per utilities. 20 is $20 a square foot that you're paying for your office space, right? And 200 is what you're paying for people. Why are people worried about two and 20 when really the cost, of, the biggest cost of their business is the 200 and really what you should be spending the most money on is that 200. You wanna make sure that that 200 is productive. You wanna make sure that the 200 is healthy. You wanna make sure that that 200 is knowledgeable. Don't, don't think about the office space, really. Think about how do you make that 200 productive because that's where you make money. Well, and that you know, goes straight to your point on the art of how you put together people in a room is I, what matters there because then you're adding to the 200 and not just the cost of the, of the office space. That's it. That's it. You know, if, if you look at it, the office space and utilities here in Midwest are cheap, right? Focus on people, right? That's a, that's a big thing. I mean, I think, I think companies are starting to figure that out and I think it's going to be more so even in the future. So when you're talking about what does St. Louis do, I think St. Louis needs to continue to stay on a track of attracting these companies, you know, that, that, that want to invest into that 200 they want to invest into their employees because this is a perfect place to do that, right? Uh, you have cheap real estate and you can invest more into the people. So, yeah, I mean, I would make the, the case of, Hey, you know, like, just like we did before, St. Louis is a great place to be blah, 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 blah. For all of our reasons. I love the art museum. I think it's a national treasure that people don't, people should travel from all over the world to come yeah. to this museum. Yeah. But if you were trying, if you were in the role of government or you were advising the St. Louis either city or county government, what are rule changes that they could make or what are situations that they could create that would make it much easier for these businesses that are going to reshore manufacturing from other places or people want to get out of their dense cities? How do you make this the place that people want to come to as they're moving? Business friendly. That's number one. Um, <clears throat> you look at the you look at the places that they have blown up over the last decade, right? You look at Nashville. You look at Austin. What do those people have, or what do those cities have that we don't have? Is is that climate of being business friendly? Um, I love St. Louis, but again, as um, as somebody who deals with real estate and somebody who has to bring people in we have to deal with all kinds of municipalities here, right? Then we have to deal with the counties. Then we have to deal with all kinds of regulations. So think about it. If you're going to Nashville, you know, you only have to deal with one, right? You don't have to deal with, uh, I, I can't even keep track. I, maybe you know how many municipalities here we have. A lot, yeah. You know? um, but again, you don't want to have to have a huge red tape to be able to, establish business here in St. Louis, open up an office and go hire a bunch of people, right? So I think that's that's number one thing. I think we were on a, on a right on a right trajectory with um, um, you know trying to combine the St. Louis city and the county. I know that's a huge, huge task and and I know it's 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 highly political and that's why some people don't even want to touch it. but again, 
in order to see better, stronger St. Louis, I think you're going to have to do something like that. Um, yeah, if I were a politician right now, I, I would be doing everything I could to say, we are going to make it so if people are going to change their lives, they've made a giant decision that we want it to be easy to buy houses here. We want it to be easy to transfer commercial property. We want getting a business license. You know, I heard the other day from a guy in Illinois who said, right now, if you wanted to start um, an LLC in the state of Illinois, there's no one taking those applications and saying, right. yes, we approve. This right. is no good. Like during the crisis, what you want is people to be able to make businesses. And, you know, if you're not going to give them the right to do it legally, they'll just do it illegally. Right. Yeah, you just have to. I mean, people are, if you think about people, they're so resilient, right? You know, you think about even these hard times, people are starting businesses. I would say personally, these hard times are the best time to start businesses. And if you look at it through the history, the hard times is when the innovation is, is the highest. The hard, hard times is when some of the best companies are formed and started. So if you take that away, like you were saying, if you can't even incorporate, I mean, what's the point, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, make it, you know, you look at it from your personal life too. Why do you do certain things that you do? Because it's easy, you know? Why do you order an Uber? Because it's easy, you know? You don't have to take a phone, call somebody, that somebody puts you on a phone call, on a, on a hold, they have to find where the net of cab is, then they have to say, well, where are you going? How are you gonna pay? The reason why Uber is Uber is because it's so easy to order an Uber and get it to your, wherever you need to go, right? Same thing with business. If you can streamline how businesses come to your community, and what they do in your community, it game over, right? So, yeah, I mean, like if you can make it so people don't, I mean, I would move if, if, uh, if it meant that you could go to a place and they made business doing so much easier, mm -hmm. why wouldn't you move? Like, why yeah. wouldn't you go to the place where the government takes the least amount from you? It's the easiest to work with. Like they're basically there to facilitate a transaction you know, what little they need to be a part of it. I, I wonder, are there cities right now? Do you know anybody gearing up to make big changes during this virus? You know, there, there's, there's a lot of progressive cities out there. Um, and, you know, going back to it, I, the uh, one thing that, that, that people don't think about, and, and for some reason governments don't think about, just like people don't think about it. You know, in St. Louis, for example, we have this this tax, 1% head tax, right? And the other day I was watching on TV and, you know, they were arguing, well, if you are not able to work in the city of St. Louis, are you still, you know, um, are you still having to pay that? Yeah. Are you still having to pay that tax, right? You know, and they were going back and forth and there's going to be lawsuits right now. To me, that's, that's, that's counterproductive, 100%, right? Think about it. Just like any business, if you can scale your business, you can make more money. If you can scale your cities or your counties, you can make more money. But you're going to have to cut somewhere in order to do that. You can't say, I'm going to scale it, but I'm going to charge all kinds of taxes on everything, right? That doesn't work, right? Because you can't scale it that way. So um, I think the cities that are going to do it the, the best is they're going to figure out that just like a business that does it the best. You know, Amazon, for example, their perfect reason 
you know, perfect case study for even for governments to look at. How do you scale a business? I mean, they were making tiny little profit margins on sell, selling you and shipping you, you know, needles for free, right? So you, you, you sit down at home and you say, okay, I want to buy a needle and Amazon sends you a needle through Prime and you don't pay for shipping. Well, you know, they make a tiny little profit, but again, you multiply that, you multiply that. And, and it's the same thing that you have to look at on a government perspective. They need to act more like business. How do we attract more and more businesses to San Louis in order to scale our government, our county, our everything? So, um, yeah, and it seems like now, <clears throat> right now is the time because, you know, a month into coronavirus, you had the problem that people still didn't know what was going to happen. And we still yeah. don't know what's going to happen, but we have a lot better signal that we're going to come out of it. We're going to have business again. People are going to return to work. So now is the time to be pulling anything out of the way that would make it possible for people to move here and start businesses. But, and you'll see this, you will see this too. This is the time that, that good businesses prosper, right? This is the time that leadership goes right on top. If you have a leader in your business, and that leader is ready to lead, they're coming right on top, right? Um, and that should be the same way with the government. If you have good leadership, this is the time when it comes on top, right? This is the time that, that you know, maybe, maybe leadership makes unconventional decisions. This is the time maybe where you pivot a little bit, right? I wanna see that from San Louis County and from San Louis City. I have not seen it yet. Um, but I do want to see it. I want to see that pivot where the leadership says, you know what, this is a great opportunity for our county, for our city to do something. Let's do something that's maybe maybe crazy, you know, maybe, maybe unconventional, but it'll put us out there and we'll do something with it, right? Um, you know, we have, we have so many talented people in a city and in a county, you know, um, you know, I, I see a lot, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about um, Dorsey and, you know, and, and Square and, you know, I mean, here's a great, great opportunity. You know, you have you have great minds here in St. Louis that love so St. Louis. For anybody that doesn't know what Dan is saying is that Jack Dorsey is actually a St. Louis native. So yeah. the and not only did he start Twitter, but he also started Square along with a guy named Jim McKelvey who's here in St. Louis, and they've been trying to reshore some jobs from the coast into the Midwest because what you end up finding out is while all the coders are out in the West Coast, you're paying them more, but their cost of living is more. So you can cancel that out and actually give an employee a way better quality of life by yeah. bringing coders here. So they were doing that before coronavirus, and I hope that afterwards we just scale it infinitely. And then again, let you know, give those those two guys, you know, give them some buy-in into the government here, right? Let them help because obviously they're the ones, they've started so many successful businesses. They know how to do it. They can help St. Louis be even a better city, right? I mean, there's so many things that we can do as a city or as a county to be much better, but I think we need to bring in the brightest minds to help us do it. We're not going to do it just through politics, period. So so you're now back in the office. You guys are running A-B shifts. The, the business market seems to be plugging along. You're, you're making sales right now? 
the, the sales are going on. Um, the leasing market has, has cooled off a bit. Um, we are seeing a resurgence in the leasing market, though. People are starting to get out of their homes. People are starting to look for the office. Um, <clears throat> the offices that we're seeing that are trading, again, is where people want to create that next level environment for their employees, right? Um, and so, you know, this recession is going to be different than 2008. Um, I think we're going to see a much, much faster bounce back. Um, really? You think so? I think so. I think so. See, see what's, what's going on is the, the problem that we had in real estate in 2008, 9, 10, it was fiscally caused problems, right? You had people creating these CMBS tranches. You know, there was, there was financial engineering. Everybody was greedy. We got to that point by doing bad, right? This recession, you know, is not as bad. Now, I'm not saying that there were not people out there doing the same thing prior to it, right? There was, there was bad actors in this recession. You'll see them fail here shortly, um, and there'll be people on the sidelines ready to pick it up. But there's still a ton of companies out there with really good balance sheets. Um, you know, if you look at around the country on the residential side, you can already see that the residential real estate is bouncing back. People are still looking to buy houses. That's the craziest thing yep. of all. The yep. neighborhood where I'm at, I think, I think housing prices have gone up something like 10, 15% just yep. in the last two weeks. Like yeah. Yeah. it was crazy how much like I, and I have some friends looking for houses and I was like, well, are you worried about putting your house up in the market? Like how many people? And they're like, no, as soon as we even started uh, like looking at sites for listing our house, we got so many ads driven towards anyway. The, the, yeah, it, yeah. it seems like residential in the suburbs is doing really, really well. It, it is doing well, you know, and then people, again, you know, going back to it, you want to find a home that you're going to be comfortable if you're stuck in quarantine, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, people are going to probably look for more pools. People are going to look for, you know, outdoor, nice, you know, larger yards, yada, yada, yada. Um, but going back to the commercial side, you know, you're, there's so much money on the sidelines right now looking for distress. I don't think that there's going to be as much distress as everybody wants, right? Um, because I don't think it's going to last as long as it lasted last time. Um, That's really the, hopeful, man. I, 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 I think uh, the I, banks I, are in a better position. I think the businesses are in a better position. There's a lot of liquidity on the sideline. Um, you know, this, this, this government, you know, this, this government um, program that, you know, that they're coming out with and, and pumping the, the money into the economy. I think that's, that's been very helpful. I think it's going to continue to help people. Um, so I, I, think, I think we've done a lot more better things this time around than we did last time around. Uh, the government acted very fast. Um, you know, even thinking about it, you know, um, um, this Paycheck Protection Program, um, you know, it came out fast. Even though a lot of banks, a lot of uh, a lot of SBA lenders didn't know what what the heck they were doing, they did it fast. They funded fast, right? That and was nothing short of genius. Like it, it whether was, or it not that was the fast. right thing yeah. to do or put that much money into the economy. Uh, you know, you and I both know Travis Liebig with St. Louis yep, yep. Bank. 
that was absolutely mind-boggling how the the government used the private sector to deliver those PPP like uh, it's unbelievable there's no way you could have gotten a government organization to have delivered the money that fast right 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 and that, that's the thing that's that, that was a great move on somebody's part to to use the private private sector to send this thing out and, and I think I think banks were incentivized to do it which made it even better, you know, because banks, you know, they were worried about when, when this thing hit, everybody was worried about their revenues, right? Well, this was something that propped up banks' revenues too, because they were able to issue loans that they knew that the government is going to back up or, you know, buy them right, right along. Uh, well, Travis said, I don't know if he wants me talking about what he tells me uh, when we're not <laughs> on camera, but what he said, which I thought was really interesting, because of the way that PPP rolled out, a lot of the money came through community banks and people mm -hmm. that had normally just been like, I bank with the first bank that I walked in the door with. He said like, now we have a chance to start relationships for people yep. to wake yep. up and think about like, what is a bank? It's not just the place where I cash my check and store my yep. money. Yep. It's got all these relationships that I think that the, one of the biggest things that will come out of that PPP program is people will have a very different relationship with their bank right. because it's going to matter if you can get somebody on the phone now. Well, and, and, and this is a great commercial for banks like Travis's and, 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 and the community banks. Um, us personally, as a business, we were not doing business with big banks. And that came stemmed out of the last recession. You know, when you're looking for a bank, you got to look at a bank where you have a personal relationship. You know the person behind the counter. You know the person who is running the bank. Because when tough time comes around, that is the people that are going to help you out. It is not going to be a call center in who knows where, right? Um, so what what we were privy through through this this process of the PP, PPP is that a lot of businesses that they were banking with a larger, you know, larger bank institutions, they could not get their money fast enough, and people who are banking with the local small community banks, they got them like you know, a month before, right? So yes, I think, I think, and I'm hoping this actually, that this is gonna happen not just with community banks, but it's gonna happen like we were talking earlier with the whole local economy, that it comes back to the local, to the people that you know, and then what you're really doing is you're really affecting everybody in this little microcosm, right? You, I'm helping you, you're helping me, you know, it's, and it's, I think everybody's, everybody's uh, livelihood is much better that way, right? So. So Dan, you are considered among our like group of friends, one of the premier entrepreneurs, a guy that came <laughs> from another country and, and made his way. If you're thinking about a young gun, 20, 21 years old, they've got all sorts of ambition, they've got no money, but they want to find a way to, to get into this thing called real estate. What would be the first couple of steps on that path that somebody could take? Yeah, my my biggest thing, and 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 this is gonna this is gonna go around and around. But my biggest thing is hard work. Um, you can be as talented as, as you want to. You can you can be smart as you want to, right? But again, nothing nothing beats hard work. Um, I, I'm, I'm you know, I came here to the United States because of basketball, and so. Um, I've been, I've been living my best life watching the, the last dance on ESPN 
you know, and, and you look at Michael Jordan, you know, there was a guy that was very much, you know, he had predisposition physically, right? He had good muscles and everything else to play basketball. But what set him apart from everybody else is how hard he worked, right? I mean, when people were walking off the court, you know, wanting to go, you know, relax or go party, he was going back to the gym and pushing people back to the gym. Same thing with entrepreneurship, same thing with work. You got to put in the time, you got to put in the work. Um, in business and, in, and, and at the, anything in life, you got to read. Um, I go, I go through, through a month. I mean, I, my, my wife is, is, is hating me because if you look at my nightstand and if you look at my office, there's books everywhere. There's magazines everywhere. Um, I'm just a constant consumer of information because what does that do? That helps you be better and helps you advance and helps you see the differences that other people that don't read don't see. Right. Um, so you, you constantly have to be consuming information and especially in real estate, because if you're like me, I came here to the United States with nothing really. Um, you know, I came, I came to play basketball. Right. And, and then you, then you look at it. Well, how do you, how do you, how do you beat somebody who's local in this game called real estate? It's not, you know, it's not by kind of, you know, cocooning yourself and, and you know, using your using your strings with people that you know, et cetera, et cetera, because you don't know anybody, right? You're you're a foreigner in the United States. Um, so how do you do that? You got You got to be smart. You got to work hard. You got to work smart. You got to you got to find these niches where people don't want to, you know. So um, what do we do on Bamboo Equity Partner side? We invest in real estate that's between one and ten million dollars in purchase price, right? Why do we do that? We do that because big funds don't want to do that because it's same amount of effort to close in a $50 million deal as it is on a $5 million deal. So, you know, what the big funds do is they raise, you know, half a billion dollars. They go buy it by, you know, billion and a half of real estate and, you know, they make a ton of money, but in the process of that, right, they're not making the prudent decisions. What we do is we're buying much smaller real estate, we do much smaller funds, and we're very successful at it because of that. You can't, you can't say that you're going to buy. Now, I, there's, one, there's one difference, Blackstone, right? They've got it covered. They, they raise billions of dollars and are very successful with that. But my feeling is the more money you raise and the more money you put out there, it's harder to be successful because you, you forget what you're in the business for, you know? you start becoming a financial engineer instead of starting to be in a real estate owner and developer and whatever. So um, again, focus on niches that other people don't want to focus on because it requires hard work. So. I love it. That's a great answer. <laughs> and uh, as you look around at the world, just to kind of round out the interview, what do you think the world's going to look like in two weeks? Two weeks, same as it does today, you know, um, it's it's hard to break habits. Um, it, it, it's very hard to get people to to move away from their habits that they formed, and now we literally formed some habits. We were in this quarantine for three months now, 
you create a habit by doing so. So what's going to happen in the next two weeks? It, it's not going to change as much. What's going to happen in the next two years? I believe that it's going to change a lot because we're going to be a lot small, smarter from this experience. Uh, I don't believe, I don't believe we're going to get caught. Um, like we did get caught this time around with, with a virus. Now, maybe there's something out there that we're going to get caught. Maybe it's going to be a natural disaster. Um, you know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, global warming and is this, um, you know, is, is this really happening because of we're not taking care of our, you know, habitat, right? And so, you know, is that going to change because of this? Probably not as much, but maybe if there's another disaster or a hurricane or earthquake, well, maybe then people are going to start thinking about that. So I think, I think as humans, we're kind of very narrow-minded and we go in the direction that we are pointed to. So in these last three months, we were pointed in a direction. We're going to fight that direction. But then later on, we're going to find something else. So. Hey, I, I mean, it's interesting <laughs> to me because everybody comes on, I ask them this question, and I would say 90% of people say there'll be no difference in two weeks. And, uh, and it's interesting because if you look back to two weeks ago, I'm not so sure I could point out that much of a difference. So I don't think people are wrong but there are giant moves happening, right? And they're probably these tiny little changes that are happening that two weeks from now or two months from now end up being this big thing, but it's, it's, it's imperceptible as far as I can tell. Well, it's just like anything in life. You gotta build small steps, right? Nobody, you know, went from here to, you know, over there. You, not you stably build, anyway, if you do. Not stably, right. Yeah. And so you build small steps, you know, what, what are we doing currently in our business is we're building small steps in this bad time, right? I mean, this is considered a bad time for real estate, right? But what can you do in a bad time? You can build small steps to improve yourself, you know, um, you can build small steps to, to maybe affect the change two years down the road, right? And that's, that's, that's all you can do. You really shouldn't be doing anything, anything crazier than that. You know, as long as you're doing that, I think you're going to be successful. You know, make small, make a lot of small steps and fail, right? Um, Amen. But if you fail on a small step. If you fail on a small step, it's not a big deal, right? Right. Um, If you fail on a big step, well, you know, then it might take you you some time to get back on your feet, right? So, Dan, I am so grateful you were willing to hop on. I've been dying to have a conversation about commercial real estate, but I wanted to get far enough through this thing that, that we could have some answers and you delivered. So, Dan, if people wanted to get a hold of you, find out more about your, your real estate company, your fund, how could they do that? So the, the two best ways um, is, is our website. If you go to bambooequity.com. Um, and uh, also on our on our sister company, Intelica Commercial Real Estate, um, you can Google that, or you can just put it in a. I'll put it in the, the browser. Yeah, sure. and um, again, you know, you, you'll find out a lot more in there. You'll find out, you know, some of our some of our pieces of you know uh, literature out there that are out there about the future of real estate, future of office space, etc. And uh, uh, so, kind of spend some time through our websites and and see what's in there because there, there's some good pieces of information there. So, Well, thank you so much for stopping by. It was great chatting with you, Dan. Thank you. Appreciate you and uh, stay safe and we'll hopefully we'll, we'll see each other soon.